This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kine. Well, hi, I'm Troy. I'm, um, I'm a consultant in the metrics and the forecasting space. And I guess, you know, the question you always get is, how do you describe yourself to your mother? So uh, when my mother was alive, she said, I don't know what you do. And at first I sort of said, I help people move post-it notes and avoid paper cuts, a la Kanban. Then I sort of said, what do I do now? I teach mathematics, simple mathematics to executives. This is a series with Troy McGinnis, Man of Metrics. And today we have a special guest. Peter Minowski, I'm a technical coach um, helping teams do things right. And I'm interested in how to achieve that balance of doing things right against doing the right thing and doing things sustainably and at quality. So I'm interested in Troy's way of approaching metrics. Before we turn backlog items into software tools, people are a lot more inventive on how they track things like BlackBerry. They put a sticky on there, they put a date, they may even put a trigger point, like if it doesn't get fixed by this time, we'll escalate, blah, blah, blah. Because people can do that. You have spreadsheets probably because it's more adaptable for your work and you can make things and invent things faster than you can you know, if you went and built it in software. So is that the problem? Is that the tools aren't flexible enough and we can't invent and... They kind of suck right now. <laughs> so again, they universally suck. So that means there isn't there's a there's a common industry cause, not a not a company cause. So the right. reason that they suck, but Jira's metrics aren't very good. Version ones, you know, Collabnet or whatever they are now, their metrics pretty much suck. So the fact that they all suck means that there's some that the industry hasn't rewarded them for being better in a quantitative way, right? But, yeah, when you're doing it by hand, you're, everyone is looking at the same visualization and sort of saying, in order to make my decision about to fix that blocker faster, we need to see that it's blocked faster. So if we look at that outcomes, decisions, insights, and measures sort of, sort of framework, all of my tools come because I've dug down and sort of said, what's, What's the outcome you want? And they're sort of saying more predictable flow, or like when I when people start a item, I want it finished. And so they're saying, well, what decision do you need to make? Well, you know, I, I I need to know why that's not happening. I need to know what's stopping work being finished once it's started, and I need to know that sort of stuff. And you can sort of see that that blocked app comes out of that discussion about okay, well, I need people to see when work is blocked and know that work is blocked and know that they need to unblock someone else because they're the they're the holdup at the moment. So you see that case I didn't have any tool off the shelf to do that. So I built blocked to capture and serve the outcome of being more predictable and decreasing sort of lead times. The tool vendors don't have that process. Remember like Jira started as a help desk ticketing system. It was to sort of not forget that we had to serve someone. That's a very different tool than sort of ongoing managing a project and being able to predict how much of those we can do in the future. So it started off from from um, uh, we're solving a completely different problem than we're using it for. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a new generation of upstart 
sort of tool vendors who go back to solving the problem of predictable value delivery. Hmm. And I think it'll be added on to maybe the portfolio vendors. I'm actually more, uh, how do I say this, pessimistic because I just don't, the question really comes down to is there money in it? And and I, of course there can be, but the people building the, well, okay. So it could be the problem that the current crop of industry, people building tools aren't the right people to solve this problem. And maybe somebody else will come along to do that. But uh, um, I see you, I mean, you're, you're that, you know, you look at the innovators uh, curve, you're way in the innovator end of things, not anywhere near the late adopter. So you're inventing things that you need because you discover it situationally in your context. And so you're updating and, and you can move fast because you're using very, um, how do I say, uh, fungible tools that may be not mass marketable use though you have the website with the with the excel so you're you're, you're kind of in the, in the kind of close to numerical mass market regardless hammers, i call them excuse uh, me I use, I use numerical hammers <laughs> okay hannah's like in hannah uh, sorry i don't hammer. know what, hammer. oh <laughs> there we are there we are yes well, yes the, 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 i can use a hammer for many reasons i only yeah. Only some of them authorized. Right, right. And, and all Excel is is just that sort of numerical hammer. It's just a, just a tool which you could belt anything into shape, any number into shape if you put enough effort in. Yeah. But, yeah, you, I get your point. Uh, that's, that's a problem, right? I mean, when you are on that innovator's sort of leading edge, people don't even know they have the problem you're selling them stuff on yet. Right. Right, right, right. And you have very, I guess, I'm going to say highly successful companies selling cruddy tools like uh, uh, the, the ones we mentioned, but they're not. Um, and so they have the money, I would think, to invest in, in, in the, the next step. But there's, they, they need to see, I guess they need to see the profit to take that step, I suppose. And uh, I don't know. That's, uh, you, you, you're solving. So you, as you already said in the show, you said that people don't know they need these tools either. So the people to buy them don't know what they need. And so you, it's, it's a double-edged problem right now. Is the the vendor maybe or maybe isn't conscious that they need to do it, and then the the people who would buy it don't also also don't know. <laughs> yeah, I wish they would. If I look forward in in you know another ten years' time, would we ever have a tool where the backlog was just a list of things unordered and unvalued and unscored and and no idea even like in a month's time roughly what I would be delivered. That seems unacceptably crude. And I sort of, do I see in the future that we have any illusion that managing individual teams would ever be predictive of what it's going to take to have seven teams collaborate to deliver one feature? Like that, that's just a ludicrous sort of uh, absurd sort of concept that, that to think that, um, you know, I mean, Akoff's sort of whole you know, get the best engine, best transmission, best, you know, uh, best steering wheel and try and assemble it into the best car. You don't even get a car that works, right? I right. mean, he, he said that you know, back in the 70s and the 80s is the, the fact that, that um, you know, the best individual pieces do not, do not even operate well. It's the interaction between the pieces, not the quality of the pieces themselves. So while we still think performance is at a team level and not an organizational level, how are we stunned that nothing goes through our our convoluted dependency tree chain to get anything out the door and think that would ever be successful without having a tool which manages that complexity? 
so until we have tools which manage the interactions between people, we will not be successful in the industry. Now, when we start putting stuff up on the wall with post-it notes, the focus of the visualization was how people interacted with each other. When we went to a tool, we just caused all these local optimizations. Right. And forgot that, that, that those excellent teams had to sort of interact with each other to deploy. So I think in 10 years' time, the tools which are most successful are the ones which focus on interactions between teams and people rather than just the raw data of the work item itself. So you sort of see what I'm trying to do with BlockedApp is emphasize the interaction of, I forgot that I was blocking you. Mm. So it's about the interaction of solving something rather than just the status of where something is. And I think that's when we put those red post-it notes on those yellow post-it notes, it was to sort of saying, I want to remember, we got to check in on this tomorrow to make sure that's fixed. It was the interaction of fixing that blocker. It wasn't just that an item was blocked. And our tool vendors at the moment are, um, have forgotten interactions. And, uh, okay, and then I'll say why. Here's my opinion. The tool vendors are not operating and never did operate like agile teams with stuff on the wall, and they don't really know what they're building to replace. They're, they're building something, but they don't know what they're trying to replace. It's not everyone using their tool. They're not likely to be ever move that direction. So most of the blockers I see, which are impactful in organizations, are external to IT. And then you're not going to get legal using JIRA. That's not going to happen. So, you know, to manage the workflow and the interactions between legal signing off and the approval to operate, I don't think they'll head that direction, which is why I'm heading that direction. So you'll see sort of the blocked app is, has got a lot more to go on it, but it's going to be focused on the, um, the reasons work isn't flowing than the work it is flowing. So I don't need to track an item. I just need to track that something's not moving, that something is blocked. And what I'm interested in, my unit of measure is, why is it blocked? Because what I want to quantify is, uh, can I do something to solve that root cause so that doesn't happen to any card in the future, mm. which has a multiplicative effect, not just fixing one at a time. But if you go down just setting um, a blocked flag on an item in Jira, what you're really doing is you're fixing blockers one at a time. And that's that's an inefficient way of doing it. You want to, sure, accelerate the ones you know about, but most importantly, you want to sort of find out if there's a there was a way of having that never happen again. <laughs> and there might be some simple ways of doing that. So that's that's where I'm heading with with that stuff, and why I don't think the current vendors will even get close to that anytime soon, because it requires them to give up tracking a ticket, and I don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime. Well, hi, I'm Troy. I'm, um, I'm a consultant in the metrics and the forecasting space. My company, Focused Objective, focusedobjective.com, is uh, I run training courses and consulting on metrics and particularly sort of how to use those metrics in forecasting. And I have some free spreadsheets which people seem to use to get started. You'll find links to Troy's company and his spreadsheets in the show notes. You don't know where the show notes are? Open up your podcast player and they're right there in the app that you use to play this. 
However, if you use the computer, go back to the website where you downloaded this MP3 and there you will see show notes. This is the last episode of the series with Troy McGinnis, Man of Metrics. If you are like my friend Sue and you've missed the first few episodes, you can find them by using your favorite search engine by searching for Agile Thoughts, Man of Metrics, and maybe throw in Lancer as well. Agile Grande teaches you systems thinking through dramatic storytelling, such as Carter takes a job to improve a logistics company's adaptability, but efforts to scale agile practices are being blocked by Mr. Chernesky, a vice president who's organized the company into siloed pigeonholes in order to secretly make millions with a dark web shipping service. Carter's life is in danger, he goes underground, and a spy agency hunts for him. When Carter uses systems thinking, systems modeling, and organizational change to save his company and his life, you get to learn how to apply that to your organization as well. Get your free copy of Agile Grande at leanpub.com.